ahead and pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your hand that leads us. And Father, I pray that as we um, live our lives, we would be following your leading um, and surrender ourselves before you. Father, I pray that you would bless us this evening, especially bless, bless Brother Charlton as he opens the word. Um, pray, Father, that you would give him thoughts and words. And Father, would we have um, open hearts to receive what you have for us. Go with us and, and bless us tonight, I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Good. All right. Well, good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you all again here this evening and happy to see some visitors that have come from out of town. You're most welcome here. Hello again. <laughs> well, good evening. Happy to have everybody here tonight. Um, <clears throat> so I know sometimes I start with a story or I have some stories that are inter intertwined uh, into my messages. Um, I don't have a whole lot of stories, personal stories that I'm gonna intertwine tonight. I actually wanna take the opportunity and I want us to embed ourselves in the biblical story and the story that we're looking at this evening. Um, a while back, I had started a series in the Gospel of John taken a bit of a long pause and I'm wanting to pick that back up um, to continue to teach through the Gospel of John. And so we find ourselves with the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Now I know this is probably a very familiar story for many of us here. For some of you it may not be. But it's always good to look at some of these very familiar stories and as I said try to embed ourselves into the story. Um, where would we fit in? Who would we be if we were to be one of the characters in the storyline? Who would we be and what questions would we be asking and where do we find ourselves? So I hope you can do that tonight as we look into this. So turn with me to John, the Gospel of John. And I'm actually going to start a little bit prior to chapter 3. I'm going to start in chapter 2 here, starting in verse 23. So John chapter 2, starting verse 23, says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Let's pray. Well, God, I just want to come before you this evening as we look at an old story, a story that is very familiar to many of us in here. And as we look at, this, look at it this evening, Father, I pray that our hearts and our eyes can be open to see, that our ears can hear and understand, that we can glean from your word, Father, what you would have us, that we can come into a fuller understanding and a fuller and deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for the time and opportunity that we have to come together as brothers and sisters. May you be with us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so as this started out here at the end of two, as we looked at Jesus being in Jerusalem during Passover, and there's many that come to him that believe. It says that these are people who believe, and it says the reason that they believe is because they saw the signs that he was doing, and they believed in him, but Jesus himself did not commit himself to them. So I want us to look at these characters in two different ways. We, we have the historical characters themselves, these people who see the signs, believe in Jesus, and we have Nicodemus, the historical character who comes to Jesus by night and enters into a conversation with Jesus. So we have the historical reality of these individuals, but we also want, I want us to look at them as a type, a type of person that believes when they see the signs and a type of Nicodemus and how he responds to the, the person of Jesus in these stories. One thing that I think is very quickly concluded as we see this is that sign faith is typically superficial faith. It's not uncommon as you go through the New Testament to see many people who marvel at the signs. They want to see a sign from Jesus. In fact, if we turn over to chapter 6, we can see this play out very, um, very prominently when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus assembles his disciples and they have a few loaves and fishes and Jesus performs this miracle where he multiplies these loaves and fishes and allows for 5,000 people to be fed. And not only is it enough to feed the crowd, but there's more left to, to collect. There's more left over at the end. At the end of that, they, they come to Jesus and they're so marveled at what he's done. They want to actually take him by force and, and make him their king. And Jesus quickly, as he seems to do, gets out of Dodge quickly without allowing them to do what they would want to do. After this, he walks on the water with his disciples. They're out on the sea and a storm is start to rise, rises up and, and they see someone coming in a distance and it's the Messiah, it's Jesus walking on the water. If you turn over to chapter six and verse 22, it says,
On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone alone. However, other boats came from, from Tiberias near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When they ate there, therefore, uh, when the people saw, therefore, that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him, once, uh, when they found him on the other side of the seas, they said to him, Rabbi, where, <coughs> where did you come here? Why did you come here? And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, seek me not, uh, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give, because God the Father has set uh, his seal on him. Then he said to him, Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may uh, work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who sent me. Therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? So here we see, once again, this request and this desire that there's, there's people who come to Jesus. They're enamored by the signs. They, they think and they see that there's, there's something here and they want to grasp at it. But they just need something a little extra. They're just not able to really take that needed step and fully trust in who Jesus is. We need to, we need to be able to, to see a sign and be reassured before we fully place our trust in who this man is. <clears throat> so seeing faith many times, as I mentioned before, is superficial faith. If you continue in chapter 6... <clears throat> Jesus then begins to talk about one of his hard teachings. He starts to see that the crowds are around and, and he begins to tell them about this time in the wilderness when their fathers were in the desert and how God provided manna in the wilderness for them and, and gave them food to eat. And Jesus then compares himself and says that he is that manna, he is that bread, that life that comes down from heaven and that unless you eat his flesh, and drink of his blood, that there is no life in you. I don't know about you, but I, if I could imagine, like if I was standing in the crowd and heard somebody say that, <laughs> I'm being honest, I probably would be like, where is this coming from? Like, as far as I know, like, you know, and, and what, what little I know of Leviticus, shouldn't consume blood, I'm pretty sure we shouldn't eat someone's flesh, this guy's got, got something going on here. I'm not so sure about it, but that just, Jesus brings in these hard teachings that are hard for people to grasp on their face. And in that, in that example there, if you turn over to verse 60, it says, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can understand it? I can sympathize with those guys. <laughs> At the minimum, I'd be saying this is a hard saying who could understand it, if not saying, I'm out of here. And I think if we're honest, we all would be, be you know, we, we happen to have this, 
this opportunity to look at these things. Hindsight is 2020, right? We have this, the full revelation of who Jesus is and the opportunity to, to understand what Jesus is getting at and what he means by the things that he's saying. But imagine actually being there in the crowd and saying, there's something about this guy named Jesus from Nazareth. He shows up on the scene. He feeds these people. He's the, the, the lame are walking. The blind are seeing. There's all these signs and, and we want to believe with him, but we need just a little bit more and we're getting closer to him and then he gives a really hard teaching and I'm not so sure I want to go that direction. Not only that, if you continue, in verse 66 says, from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go? So these, these men, these are disciples here. These aren't just necessarily the ones in the crowd that, that are around and have seen a few handful of signs. These are people that actually began to walk with Jesus. And at that time, they, they walked away. And it says they walked with him no, no more. And Jesus turns to his own 12 and says, now's your chance. Do you want to you go with those guys? Walk out the door with them. <clears throat> We live in a world today that forces us in this concept that seeing is believing, right? If only I could see, then I would believe. And we have all kinds of little sayings with that we do that even in our own family or friends or people. Like somebody wants to do it and we'll say, hey, well, I'll believe it when I see it. You're going to accomplish that? I'll, when, you, when you bring the papers in or when you show me that you've accomplished it, then I'll believe that you've actually done that, right? Whereas Jesus has a different system in his kingdom. Jesus doesn't, doesn't seem to operate in that way. He seems to operate on the, the aspect of trust and I will show you. Not let me show you and then you can trust. He wants us to trust and then he will show us. He wants us to believe and then we will see. There's a commentator named Blank. He says, in reference to uh, John chapter 2 there at the end, verses 23 and, and, and 24, where it was talking about these, these people who believed Jesus because of the signs, but yet Jesus did not commit himself to them. And he says that what Jesus clearly knows about human beings is precisely this, that the human being is a highly undependable problematic and variable entity dependent on many internal and external influences, all of which work themselves out in relation to the human person's ability to believe. We are dealing here then not so much with Jesus's divine omniscience into human beings, but rather with the fact that Jesus grasps with sharp penetration that the central problematic of human beings is the problematic of their ability to believe. And we see this even with the disciples as the life of Jesus goes on, right? We were confronted with Thomas, a man who's walked with Jesus, seen the signs, heard the teachings, been there all the way to the end. He's crucified. And how does Thomas approach the, 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 the notions and the, the announcements of the risen Messiah? Not unless I, I can actually, I want to put my hands right 
where he was pierced. I want to touch the hands. I want to touch the side. I need to know. I, want to be, I have to be able to hold it and feel it and see it right here, and then I'll believe. And we, we find out that it is blessed are, are you because you get to see these things, but blessed are those who do not see but yet still believe. So many of these people, as we saw there even from chapter 6, his own disciples deciding to walk away from Jesus. These hard teachings were, were too much. They saw the signs. They didn't have this persevering. They didn't have this continuing of faith. They had this, this initial faith and excitement, something that, that grasped them because of the signs that they saw. But they didn't have what was necessary for them to continue in faith in Jesus Christ like the others, like the 12 who continued with him on his journey. And so now I want to turn our attention to Nicodemus. Nicodemus in, in uh, chapter 3 verse 1 here, it gives us a little bit of information about him. We know that he is a, a, one of the, the ruling religious authorities, right? He's a leader of the Jews. And he comes by Jesus by, uh, at nighttime. Now maybe, I think, you know, we all, there, there's speculation. Who, who knows, why did he come to Jesus by night? We aren't, we aren't given a whole lot of information in the text, so we, we can make some speculation. Maybe he was coming to Jesus by night because he, he didn't want to, his, his other religious colleagues to, to see him talking to this man who performed miracles and signs, this Jesus of, of Nazareth. So maybe he was trying to protect his own reputation or the reputation of the synagogue or whatever the case may be. And so he comes under the, the cover of night in the darkness to come to the one, like John says, the light has shone in the darkness and he comes to Jesus as this light shining in that moment in darkness. Or maybe, maybe Nicodemus wasn't fearful about those things. Maybe he was waiting and looking for just the opportunity in the still and the quiet to actually come and engage with Jesus in a time that would be more meaningful when the crowds weren't surrounded by him and when his followers and, and his disciples weren't taking up his time and attention where Nicodemus could engage one-on-one -on -one with him. We don't know what the reason is that he comes by night. But we do see a progression of Nicodemus. What we know about his life, he, he comes up three times in the book of John. We see him here at the cover of night coming to Jesus. We find him again later on in front of the, uh, the religious leaders uh, giving some small defense of Jesus when they are uh, plotting against him for the things that he's doing. Nicodemus speaks up and tries to defend him using the law. And then we meet him again a third time after the death of Jesus where Nicodemus wants to give a proper burial for Jesus. So we don't know a whole lot about the life of Jesus, but we can, we can guess and speculate the trajectory that he's launched on as a, as a result of this nighttime meeting that he has with Jesus. <clears throat> so at this point, I think in Nicodemus's life, I think we could call him the hopeful sympathizer. You know, he, he seems like he's coming to Jesus with a certain level of authenticity, 
I don't think he's, he doesn't seem to be coming off and Jesus doesn't seem to be taking him as someone who's trying to poke holes and ask questions to, to trap Jesus in the corner like many of the religious leaders. It actually seems like these believers in the previous verses, Jesus doesn't commit themselves to him. But in this situation, Jesus actually commits himself to engage in conversation with Nicodemus and share and reveal to him truths about the kingdom of God. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus, the hopeful sympathizer here, seems to be maybe standing on the on the sidelines right i mean he's he's got to uphold i mean he's a religion he's the jesus calls him the teacher of all israel so i mean he he's, he has a reputation he has a law that he has to follow but there's something that he sees in the things that jesus is saying well at least at this point the things that jesus is doing that cause him to say okay the signs that you do can only be done if god's with you and he calls him a teacher and rightfully so Jesus is a teacher. He is no less than that, but as we know, he is much more than that, right? But at this point, what is revealed and what Nicodemus knows is that, that Jesus is the teacher who has come from God. Another commentator named Bruner says, Teacher, not, <clears throat> not wrong either. Nicodemus will learn, like all of us, that Jesus is much more than a teacher, but Jesus is nothing less, and this is not a bad or false beginning. Some liberal Christians have stopped where Nicodemus uh, begins, and the consequences have been tragic, but some conservative Christians have failed to take Jesus' teachings very seriously with tragic consequences too. So here he's, he's highlighting something that there's kind of two errors, right? Two camps that people can fall into, and we don't want to go to either side of that ditch. One, that, you know, Jesus, yeah, he was a great man. He's got a great list of moral teachings. We can look to him as, as um, a, a leader to respect and learn and put his teachings and principles into practice, but he's no more than that. And then there's another side of that where Jesus' teachings, we, we, we focus so much um, at who he is as the Savior, but his teachings within the Sermon on the Mount and what they mean for us, those, aren't, those things aren't meant for us. And I'll give you a quote here. This is actually from the Schofield, Schofield Reference Bible. Um, <clears throat> it says, The Sermon on the Mount, in its primary application, gives neither the privilege nor the duty of the church. These are found in the epistles. Under the law of the kingdom, for example, no one may hope for forgiveness who is not first forgiven. So what he's highlighting here is that Sermon on the Mount is not for us. If we look to that, according to that, we can't be forgiven unless we also forgive. Well, as we know, we, come, we want to come to Jesus not just as a great teacher, but also recognizing he is so much more 
Not only that, as Peter reveals and others, he is the Christ, that, that the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one who is, who is to come, the, the anointed one of God's kingdom who is ushering in a new kingdom. Not a kingdom that's sometime out in the future, but no, Jesus is inaugurating a new kingdom and a new order with new laws for the here and the now. And so Nicodemus is confronted with this fact that Jesus is a teacher to be listened to. And so Jesus gets straight to the point. He doesn't seem to thank Nicodemus for his recognition. He doesn't seem to, to affirm him in his statements of, of the recognition of him as a good teacher. He it just says, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus' prophetic ability to get right to the heart of what needs to happen here. Jesus is getting to the core of the reason in which he's come into this world to proclaim God's kingdom. But now he's, he's talking to Nicodemus and letting him know there's a, there's a whole new path. You must be born again. Now, we, should, we, we need to stop. We need to actually unpack this a little bit. We could probably even spend a whole sermon, a whole lesson in itself, really unpacking what does it mean to be born again? Because this is one of those words and terms that I think a lot of, depending on what area of Christianity you've grown up in or been influenced by, one of these words that has been hijacked and lost a lot of its meaning. And so I will attempt a little bit tonight to, to bring some of that biblical definition into this word, these word, set of words of what it means to be, to be born again. Because it's very important. I mean, we actually, we, this is something we should, we should study out and know. Because Jesus right here, he's saying, look, if you're not born again, you cannot even see the kingdom. And then later tells him, if you're not born again, you don't even get to enter the kingdom. So there's a necessity to see it and a, and a need to enter it, but there's something that has to happen for every single person. And this is not just for the Gentiles. Right here we have the teacher of all Israel and Jesus tells him, you have to start at square one just like everybody else. Abraham's your father, you have to be born again. And, and Nicodemus, even it seems like in his questioning, he, he, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? It's, it's almost like Nicodemus is saying, wait a second. I'm the teacher of all Israel. I'm a leader in, in the Pharisees. I've, I've, okay, let me look back. I've got David. I've got Moses. I've got Abraham. And I have to go back to the beginning? Like I have to go back to like when I was in my mom's womb and be born and start, start from scratch. And so he's, he's, he's looking at this. He's, it seems like Nicodemus is starting to grapple with the implications of what Jesus is saying. He's telling him he needs to start over. That he doesn't have the answer. He doesn't have the solution. Jesus is saying you have to start from the beginning. And actually, Chris Awesome talks about this being born again as a way of thinking about it is being born from the beginning. Being born from above going back to that which was originally meant from the beginning. There's two important words here 
unless and cannot. Jesus answered and said to him, most surely I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We can't skip over this story. This is a very significant, um, essential, necessary story that John is opening up with as we enter into his, his gospel, not too far into his gospel here. And to answer this question <clears throat> of what it means to be born from above. We understand what it means to be born the first time, but to be born from above. Justin Martyr says, at our birth, we were born without our own knowledge or choice, but by our parents coming together in order that we may not remain the children of necessity and of ignorance, but may become the children of choice and knowledge and may obtain in the water the remission of sins formerly committed. There is pronounced over him who chooses to be born again and has repented of his sins the name of God the Father and Lord of the universe and the name of Jesus Christ and the names of the Holy Spirit. So just a martyr along with the voice of the early church see that baptism is a key an essential piece of this, what it means to become born again, to go back to the beginning, to participate in this inauguration, in this entrance into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Jesus clarifies his statement after, G after Nicodemus is thinking about this in, in an earthly term and looking uh, in an earthly manner, thinking about Going back into his mother's womb, Jesus clarifies his statement in verse 5, saying, Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's further highlighting what he means when he talks about being born again. Brunner writes, Jesus' remark seems to be presupposed that to see the kingdom of God is the highest human aspiration, or that it should be. To see the kingdom of God is Jesus' different enough description of the universal human longing for life, that it can be given, a, uh, it can give us pause. Jesus clearly has the conviction that human beings need more than ordinary credentials in order to see the kingdom or to live in the fullness, in the full sense of the word. We need, whether we know it or not, and so we ought supremely to desire to see and to be in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> Chrysostom says, Christ speaks obscurely because he wishes to rouse his hearers to ask questions and to render them more attentive. That quote there resonates with me. Like, I can only imagine, like, sitting there as, you know, Jesus, thanks for meeting with me this evening. You are a teacher come from God. No one can do the things that, that you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus opens up, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And it's kind of like, uh, come again? <laughs> Could you see? Could you re okay, unless I get born again. Okay, so if I enter my mom's womb, then 
then, wait a second, okay, and most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's like, it's like Jesus's way of, his, he's, he's pulling him in, in a way to ask and invite questions to say, what are you getting at? Because the implications, I can only imagine Nicodemus is saying, the implications, if you're saying what I think you're saying, the implications are massive. And what's interesting about that is that not only is it the implications scandalous, even in that day for, for Nicodemus and for, for the Jewish authorities and for all his own followers and everything, it's actually just as scandalous today, the claims that Jesus is making. And there's many things, we may not be in the exact same situation as Nicodemus, as, as a leader in a, in a certain group that, that's holding us back, but we are nonetheless confronted with the same statement that Jesus makes to Nicodemus. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. It seems like Jesus is saying here, when he repeats in different words what he already told him, you've recognized and received me as teacher because of my signs, but are you actually going to recognize and receive me based on my words? And we see that this becomes a very common theme throughout the book of John, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I didn't come into the world to judge the world. I came to save the world. But the words that I speak will judge you in the last day. And Peter makes recognition when, when, when Jesus turns to Peter and, and, and to his disciples, will you leave also? Let's go over to that, to that passage again. It's in John chapter 6. When Jesus says... Uh, verse 66, from that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Is Nicodemus at that point? Does, does he see Jesus as actually having the words of eternal life? Peter's like, we have nowhere to go. Why would we go with them? You, Master, have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter's saying, there's nothing that's going to hold us back. We know, we've seen, we believe, and we're here. And that's what Nicodemus is confronted with as well. So he's being called to a complete and new beginning. Nicodemus is like, no, Jesus, I, I want to go forward. I don't want to go backward. Like this, going, this born again thing, like entering this, like, I want to go forward, not backward. And Jesus says, and, and if, unless you go backward, you can't go forward. You have to rethink what you think you know. And Jesus does this again and again with each person that he meets in his ministry. We don't know 
what all happens, at least from that point. Uh, the, the story and the interaction and the, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus continue on in the chapter. We don't have time tonight to get into Moses and the serpent and the wilderness and how the Son of Man in the same way has to be lifted up. It's a great story and a, and a wonderful thing to unpack. Wish we could go into it. We don't have enough time. Um, <clears throat> but what we're, what we're getting at and what we're seeing here is that Nicodemus is ultimately going to be left with a decision. And it's what Jesus does with all of his people, whether it's Peter, whether it's Matthew, whether it's any of his disciples, they're always left with the decision, are you going to follow me? And are you willing to follow me no matter what it costs? And that call is for his disciples that he calls early on. That call is for Nicodemus. And, that, and by implication, that call is to all of Israel via the teacher of all Israel being Nicodemus. And that call is still for you and for me. And how do we respond? As we can see, Jesus at various times checks in with his disciples. How you doing, Peter? You ready to walk out the door with the other guys? We have to continue to make sure that we're walking in step with Christ. It's not just a one and done. It's not just, hey, Nicodemus, very easy. This whole born again thing, once you're in, you're in. It's good. And you can, you can just move on with your life. Just make sure you, you stay in line. That's not how Jesus operates. If we could get into the implications of bearing the cross and, and that whole the story of the serpent in the wilderness and looking uh, to, to that for salvation and, and what Jesus affects to us through his death, burial, and resurrection um, is something that I hope we, we continually always reflect on in our own journey, in our own life, again and again being brought back to the reality of the death, burial, resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. I want to contrast, at least right now, contrast a response from someone else who's a religious leader, who's very similar to Nicodemus in the sense that he's a Hebrew of a Hebrew, Jew of Jews. He is a, a, a leader, a Pharisee of a Pharisee. And I want to contrast what he thinks about his past as he had to wrestle with this same thing of what does it mean to actually be a follower of Jesus and to be born again. Turn over to... Philippians, or you can listen. <clears throat> so, as I mentioned, we want to, as we're looking at Nicodemus as a historical character in this story, but also thinking about, in your own life, Nicodemus as a type. As I talked about, kind of that sympathetic, hopeful sympathetic, right? He's sympathetic to the cause. He likes what he sees, at least partially, because it does disrupt the order. But he's, he seems to be sympathetic, but still not yet at that point where he's ready to just jump all in. Maybe I'll stand on the sidelines. I just want to see how things play out. And if it looks like, if it looks like things are going to go the right direction, okay, maybe then I'll jump in. That's not what Jesus wants. Jesus doesn't want hopeful sympathizers on the sidelines. He wants people that are willing to go push forward with everything. <clears throat> Philippians, Paul says, starting in chapter 3, verse 3, 
For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of a Hebrew, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. So Paul sets up, hey, I've got, if, if anyone can come in and, and I've got this list of credentials and can walk up to the door and say, here we go. He's like, I've got them. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything to him is nothing. Just for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage. Man, what if Nicodemus had, like, what if Jesus said, you must be born again, and Nicodemus was like, everything's garbage, I'm in. Man, I, like, that would have been, a, I, I, that would be a, a page turner, right? I mean, the, the scriptures, all of them are page turners, but I'm sure we all would be locked in like, whoa, the, the teacher of all Israel just said, like, what if, what if it was Nicodemus that was making this statement when Jesus says, unless a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, and Nicodemus was like, sign me up, nothing else matters. Paul says, it's garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Nothing compares. Everything else not only pales in comparison, is garbage in comparison. That's Paul's perspective. <clears throat> Going back to this, I do want to take a moment and highlight this being born of water and spirit and further clarify what it means to be born again, at least in the sense that Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus, like every serious Jew of the time, and hearing Jesus's water will have immediately thought back to the most recent revival that was happening in Israel. John the Baptist, this man that's going around preaching repentance, calling Pharisees and anyone and everyone to repentance and bringing them down to the water to be baptized. This very well parallels and precedes the ministry of Jesus. So Nicodemus would have been very aware of this and would have probably immediately been drawn to, to this example when Jesus talks about being born of the water and the spirit. <clears throat> If we think of Jesus' own baptism, we, we won't turn there. I, I'm hoping, I'm just, I'm going to assume most of us are familiar with the, the baptism of Jesus. 
So the baptism of Jesus, he comes to John, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, whose sandal I am not fit to, to unloose. And, and, and Jesus comes to him and, and he must be baptized. And John is like, by me? No, I'm not, I'm not worthy. And Jesus says, to fulfill all righteousness, this must be done. And Jesus goes down into the water. He's baptized. He comes up. And what happens? The Spirit descends like a dove, right? We have this water in the baptism and we have this Spirit so this, this very interesting parallel of water and spirit and this new revelation of what Jesus is doing as John is the forerunner and Jesus is now, now entering and ushering in his, his ministry and inaugurating the, uh, the, uh, his, uh, the entry into his kingdom. We have water and spirit. We have the story here now with Nicodemus where Jesus is talking about water and spirit. If you fast forward... After Jesus has, has died, he's been buried, he's, he, he's been uh, resurrected, and he's ascended, and his, his disciples are waiting, and Paul on the day, excuse me, Peter, Paul's much later, uh, Peter <laughs> on the day of Pentecost is, gives this sermon, right? And he tells the people, this Jesus, yeah, the one that you crucified, God has raised him and seated him at the right hand of God. He has made him both Lord and Christ. And what does it say about the people? It says that they're, they're cut to the heart by what they hear. They're moved by what they hear. They're, wait a second. The, hold on. That's another one of those. Wait, could you say that again? Come again? Like we, wait, the, the, that guy, he's the one, and, and we just participated in that? And Peter's like, yep. And what do we do? How, how, how can we make this right? Is there any way for this to be made right? And Peter says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what do we have there? Water and spirit. This pattern happens over and over and over. There's no way. Sadly, many groups and many, a lot of modern day has detached baptism from what it means to be born again. Think about it as a double-sided coin. Conversion and baptism, being born again, you can't separate them. Those things go together. <clears throat> as I mentioned before, it's a scandal not only in the day of Jesus, but it's still a scandal even today for a lot of people. Because we've reduced it down to an experience, a decision I made at some point, some feeling I had internally, and, and, and I gave my heart to the Lord, and that was the point in which I was born again. But Jesus says, unless you've been born again, or born of the water and spirit, and every example we have here has to do with water baptism and the promised and blessed gift of the Holy Spirit given at that point to the one who has gone in faith into those waters. And this is why it's important to think about repentance and all the things, counting the cost. Do we have enough to follow Jesus to make that decision? Are we at the place where Nicodemus is? It sounds interesting, Jesus. Or are we at the place where Paul is? Everything's rubbish, and I'm pushing forward to that prize. If you look over at Luke 7, chapter 30, this has to do with the baptism of, uh, with John's baptism specifically, but there's an important piece to highlight here. 
says, but the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. Like, I don't know if, if, like, we kind of, it's one small verse and we skip over it, but here we've got the leader of, of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, standing before Jesus, and, and later on in chapter 7, it talks about the, the lawyers and the Pharisees that by rejecting John's baptism, this is just John's baptism, we're not even talking about Jesus's here, we're not talking about the one that comes after me who will baptize you with the, with the Spirit, this is just John's baptism, and the statement is made that they rejected the will of God because God was doing something. <clears throat> I'm going to read a quote here from Bruner as well. Being members of the synagogue, or for that matter, of the church, does not automatically mean being members of the reborn people of God, a people now being almost audaciously re-inaugurated, rebirthed by Jesus. Who does Jesus think he is? He is shaking the foundations of everything until now considered holy. You people of God absolutely must be born all over again from above in order to be the true people of God, is what Jesus is actually saying in these words. If we do not know Jesus better, if we did, sorry, if we didn't know Jesus better, we could think that this is almost fanat an almost fanatical remark. Your present religion, however holy you may think it is, will not give you the required new birth. Nicodemus, you need, by faith in me, to be spirit baptized with water into my new community, the new uh, the church, in, in the order, in order to be born anew, we trust that Jesus will justify what seems here to be a radical departure from the sacred heritage. If Jesus is the, the Messiah, perhaps he may be allowed to redefine matter, uh, excuse me, redefine matters in Israel and beyond. One can understand why many of those who were responsible at that time for the purity of the faith entrusted to Israel were deeply disturbed by Jesus' coming onto the scene. What would we have done in such a radical upstart who completely overturned everything we had, until, we, we had held until we held sacred until he came? To tell the people of God that they are not the people of God, it is, it is not unusually good, uh, it, it is not usually good form to tell them that in order to become the people of God, as Jesus is now effectively telling them, that they must commit themselves to him can seem highly presumptuous. But this is exactly what our present verses are doing. And we need to feel the shock for Jesus is addressing new people of God as well. In closing, I want to look over at Titus briefly. <clears throat> Titus chapter 3.
chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So the question for some of us here tonight, I don't know where everyone here fits in that storyline. I don't know if you're maybe one of those initial believers where the teachings of Jesus and Jesus himself, they seem interesting, and I've, I've grown up in a, in a, in a community, and I, I've seen a lot of good things, but, but I'm st I, I don't know that I'm completely sold. I'm not there. I need something else. Maybe that's the place that you're at. Or maybe you're like Nicodemus. You're, you're kind of hopeful, and it, it looks good, and you're kind of rooting in that direction. You're sympathetic to the cause, but I, don't, I just don't know that I'm ready to, to throw everything in and count everything as trash. Or maybe, as my hope is, I'm hoping we're all like Paul, where everything, nothing matters in comparison to who Jesus is and what he's calling us to. Because he's worth it. Are we, are we truly at that place? And it's not just something that, well, yeah, I was, I was at that place 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Are you at that place today? I was at that place last year or two years ago. Are you at that place today? Where are you at? Where would you fit yourself? Can you truly say, I want to know Christ and the power of his rising? Share in his suffering Conform to his death, that by any chance I might obtain the resurrection of the dead. Is that where you are? And if not, that's where you need to be. Unless you be born again, you cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, that you have bestowed and demonstrated your love and your kindness, your goodness to us, and that you sent your son Jesus. Not only as just a good teacher with a good set of moral laws and values that if we live in accordance with those things, life might go well with us, but you sent him as the eternal king over the kingdom of God, the one who truly does have the words of life, and I pray, Father, that it is our testimony in here that when we're confronted with Jesus saying, are you going to leave too? That we would turn and say, to whom else would we turn, Lord? You have the words of life. May that be more true here and now for each and every one of us tonight. May we draw near to you in true faith and true sincerity of heart, knowing and believing that you give your spirit abundantly to those who ask to those who seek, to those who knock. And Father, we want to be faithful. 
we thank you for this story that we've been able to, to look at tonight as we, we think about what it was like for, for Nicodemus to come to Jesus in the cover of night and to engage in that conversation and, and to have his world completely flipped and turned and, and opened in a way that he never even knew or understood. And I pray that we can come to that place like Paul where we can say everything, our list of credentials, our life, everything is nothing, is ready to be surrendered and given over and that we can have that ongoing surrender and walk of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray.